Let's, uh, let's go before our Lord one more time. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we ask that you would indeed open our hearts to your word. Jesus, give us grace to have open eyes and open ear lids and help us to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, it seemed like every action TV show that I ever watched, which was the only one worth watching, right? Every action TV show featured quicksand. Do you, do you remember that? The hero of the story inevitably found his way into quicksand and his horse had to kind of neigh his reins over to him and just in the nick of time he would grab on and the horse would pull him out. I sure thought quicksand was going to be a much bigger problem in my adulthood when I was five <laughs> than it has turned out to be. Now, while quicksand for us at least, really isn't that big of a physical danger. There is quick spiritual quicksand all around us, right? For Americans, for people like you and me, that quicksand is more like a black hole that sucks in our heart by the gravity of Stuff. Stuff. Only Friday, I was at my favorite purveyor of soul cancer in Santa Maria, California. And I started thinking and finagling in my mind how I could get a Henry Lever Action 22 and justify it. Anybody ever have a problem like that? All of the justifications and explanations finally caved to cold, hard reasoning as I was going to sleep Saturday night, only to wake up this morning thinking about what a great ministry opportunity it would be to have a Henry Lever Action 22. Is anybody with me on this? You all know what I'm talking about. I mean, it may not be a Henry, but it's something, right? Lies, my friends. Stuff so quickly captures our heart. And if you think that you're immune just for a moment, if you had a few free tens of dollars, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, what would you spend that cash on? If you didn't have to use it to pay off a bill or if you didn't have to use it to pay off your mortgage or rent, would it be some online game? There's a few tens of dollars can go quickly. A new rifle, a few hundreds of dollars. A new car, a whole lot of thousands of dollars. The point is that you and I have idle factories firmly situated in our chests. We don't have to try very hard and we can think of ways to spend money on ourselves like that. Now, simply wanting a Henry 22 lever action rifle or simply wanting something that you might want is not necessarily coveting. 
You can plan. You can save. You can do the things that wise people have been doing for hundreds and thousands of years and acquire things the way that you should. That's not necessarily coveting. Coveting is when you're troubled by something. Something is aggravating you. And your first thought is to go towards whatever you're coveting because that's, that's your safe spot. That's your happy place. That's the place where you like to be and you don't want to think about these problems over here. Now for many, that's some alcohol. For others, it's some sort of drug. For some, hypothetically speaking, it's stuff. And my friends, this is a common soul cancer throughout all of mankind, but sure does seem particularly virulent in the contemporary West. You know what I'm talking about. Instead of going to Jesus and trusting Him, we begin to mentally caress some new toy and when that happens, you know that you're hooked. And you and I need to remember what we learned last week. Cut off whatever it is that you won't disciple. We're continuing our brief series on discipleship through Matthew chapters 19 and 20. And last week, we spent the time talking about marriage and how marriage is discipleship. And you all came back. I'm shocked to be honest. I wasn't sure if some of you were going to come back. I prayed for your soul. I prayed for mine too. And I warned you that this week we're talking about stuff. Man, can that preacher get off my back? Well, you know what? If it were me, then I would say y'all ought to leave. But this is Jesus speaking. We are going to see Jesus telling you and me to cut out of our heart and our minds and our lives whatever it is that we won't disciple. Whatever it is that we won't submit to our relationship with Jesus. Make sure, my friends, that you and I intentionally make unreproductive any desire or attitude that you cannot or will not submit to Christ. And last week, I gave you the key passage for this, Matthew 19, verse 12. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have intentionally cut off that which they could not disciple so for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. We are going to continue through these two chapters, see how this very <clears throat> uh, earthy illustration that Jesus gave us affects how you and I walk through this life. Including with, including and starting with how we look to Jesus Himself. Let's begin our passage right where we left off last week in verse 13. 13 through 15. It says, Jesus, then children were brought to Him that He might lay His hands on them and pray. 
The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Now, in this passage on discipleship, in this passage on how you and I can pursue holiness, how you and I can pursue getting closer to Jesus, in this passage, Matthew points us backwards to the teaching that he just gave in Matthew 18, 1-6. And in that passage, you remember that our big idea was reduce yourself to greatness. You'll remember that we talked about the fact that the children came up to Jesus and Jesus refused to send them away, just like right here. And Jesus said, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. These were they who came to sit on Jesus' lap. The Pharisees didn't come sit on Jesus' lap. The Sadducees didn't come sit on Jesus' lap. They wanted to be men. And they wanted to be important. I'm not going to humble myself by going and sitting on some rabbi's lap. That's ridiculous. But Jesus would not push these children away. Because remember, greatness in the kingdom of heaven is measured by closeness to Christ. Greatness, having great stature in the kingdom of heaven is measured by how close you are to Jesus. And frankly, I just can't think of how you get any closer than sitting right there on His lap. Amen? Amen. Humble yourself, my friends. Humble yourself in your pursuit of holiness, in your discipleship. Allow your heart to be willing to accept second place. Because that is how you and I will become great in God's kingdom. Now, as great as a test it is of our hearts to humble ourselves to sit with Jesus, it is a very great trial to humble ourselves to walk away from our stuff. Let's read a story about exactly that. Verse 16, And behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said, which ones? (laughs) I always got to laugh when I read that. Which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What still do I lack? Now, unlike the Pharisees who last week we looked at came in to test Jesus, remember they were trying to trip Him up. They were trying to catch Him in a popular question and they knew He was either going to answer this or He's going to answer this. And one way or the other, 50% of the people would hate Him. And that's what the Pharisees were trying to catch Jesus on. But in this week, we don't have that. Instead, what we have is a person who comes to Jesus and asks a legit question. And so Jesus turns 
the question into a test for this young man. What is going on in your heart? Now, of course, the first thing that we ought to notice is the hubris, the arrogance. Oh, oh, the Ten Commandments? Got that. I've always been on top of those, Jesus. What else you got? Oh my goodness, I'm horrified even acting like that would be something I would say. But there is another way of looking at these verses that isn't quite so arrogant. The rich young ruler recognizes that there's something missing. All right, Jesus. Well, you know, I I don't always fall to these. I'm not outwardly this enormous sinner. But there's something that prevents me, that prevents my conscience from acquitting me. By the way, can anybody in this room identify with that? I imagine there's at least one or two people in this room that are not murderers. There's at least one or two people in this room that are not adulterers. And, and, and you know, we have these common, really bad sins. And I think this man realized, hmm, maybe I need to take the next step. Maybe there's things that I am not seeing that I need to get right with God. No, I'm, I'm interpreting. I, I might be wrong. We might find out someday that no, he really was that arrogant and and that's just the way it was. But Jesus knows something. Jesus understands what is going on in this man's heart and he graciously puts his finger right there in his eye where it hurts. Let's read about that. Verse 21 says, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, if you would be complete, fully ready, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Oh, all right. You think your heart's pure? Then sell everything you got And come, follow me. This man, whether instinctively or consciously, relies on money and position. He relies on wealth and prestige. And my friends, he is not alone. Most people, I dare say, in the history of the world have fallen at one point or another to one of the big three. Money, sex, and power. And money just happens to be one of them that is so wildfire rampant around us. The question is, when it comes time to forsake money, sex, or power, will you be willing? Will you be able? Because you have developed defenses against allowing your heart to be so consumed by this idol that you have made of stuff. And this is no judgment. Your stuff is probably different than my stuff. Your stuff looks 
different. Your stuff is maybe online. Your stuff is maybe in your house. Your stuff is maybe in something else. I drive a 1997 Toyota Camry because it was a free for me. And it works. And cars are not my stuff. I am very happy to drive an almost 20-year-old car because if something happens to it, guess what? Oh well. <laughs> you know. But I get it. I understand people who buy BMWs and I don't judge them. That's not me. But I don't judge them because I got my stuff that I want. So, so listen, this is not a judgment thing. I'm just helping us to identify, and I don't even necessarily know what yours is. I'm just helping us to identify that we all have this stuff. And the question is, will you cut off, make unreproductive that which is in your way of pursuing holiness? That which is blocking you from discipling further down the road with Jesus? I got a couple of thoughts. First is, man, I know this one isn't for me because I ain't rich as like that guy over there. And I can't really follow Jesus because he's not here. No, you can't physically follow Jesus. But could you happily give up something? Here's a test. Give up something this week. Maybe it's a TV program. Maybe it's an extra Starbucks. Wait. Maybe it's an extra Starbucks. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> How many harders are in this room? Hold on. <laughs> Give up something this week that you ask the Lord and say, Lord, show me. What am, what am I allowing to block between you and me? This is an opportunity to drop a small thing so that you can learn when it comes to time you can cut off everything that stands in your way with Jesus. Because let's face it, this man had a problem. You know what his problem was? He had gas. Yep. This guy's problem. The thing that stopped this man from following Jesus was gas. Gadget acquisition syndrome. Yes, it was the engineer back there handling the slides who quoted this for me. How many of us have gadget acquisition syndrome? The newest toy, whatever that newest toy. I, thank you, Chuck. I am forever going to quote you on that one. <laughs> this man's eyes were clouded by the desire for more and more stuff. And even those who are in the decreasing time of your life are not having all the joy you can because all the gas that you had in the years past, you've been holding on to. Ah, who am I to say that? Verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I, how many of you guys have heard this hogwash about, well, 
needles were gates into Jerusalem and it was really hard to get camels to go in there and all that. Baloney! Look, Jesus is making a very clear point. You can't get a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It ain't going to happen. And guess what? Just as impossible as this into this is, so is saving your soul. My friends, this is the Gospel. You can't just wake up tomorrow morning and say, I am not going to covet anymore. And even if you could, you know what you would succeed in doing? Being prideful. And guess what? Satan would be just happy to have you become a prideful person if it meant taking away your coveting. This, Jesus is saying it's impossible. It can't happen by yourself. And He wants you to catch that because He wants you to turn to Him. And that's exactly what He says in verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Lord, I struggle with coveting. I can make all kinds of justifications. I can spend hours thinking about whatever it is that I'm coveting. I'm ashamed to say that. I mean, I wish I were just making this stuff up for you right now and I really didn't struggle with this. But this is, this is where I'm at. And I wish it weren't true. But here's what I know. Lord, I struggle with this and I know that You know and You still love me. He's still my God. And He laughs at me. (laughs) Greg, come on, dude. You know better than this. Come on, man. We've been through this. Peter, always... I I want to give you an image. We look at Peter and we think, man, that guy had a foot-shaped mouth. How many of you ever thought about that? (laughs) Next time you think Peter had a foot-shaped mouth, this is the image I want you to think of. He looked in a mirror and then he pointed that mirror right at you. Why? Because you and I have foot-shaped mouths too. And he's only saying the stuff that you and I would have said if we had been there. See? Behold, look, pay attention, Jesus. We have left everything and followed you. What will we have? Man, I find it all too easy to think about how much work I do, how much more sacrificial I am than someone else. I find it so easy to start thinking about how good, how God, how I deserve for God to be good to me. Oh God, save me. And God is, Jesus is gentle. Jesus is kind. Jesus has so much more patience than I have. So much more compassion 
than I can even dream of having. Listen to Jesus instead of smacking him down. Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the tribes of Israel. Now, specifically, Jesus is talking to the twelve disciples there. He's not talking to you and me here. Alright? But now the verse changes. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for My name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last will be first. Now, we need to take a time out. Because my job is to help you become independently dependent on the Scriptures. Don't become dependent upon me or your favorite Bible preacher. Become dependent on the Scriptures. And, and here is a key thing that we have to stop and understand. If you are going to understand the Scriptures, you have to understand one word in particular, and that's analogical. Now, I try to leave off my doctorate words out of here so that we're not stuck on them, but this is an important one. To understand analogy. So, for example, when we hear the word Trinity, we need to understand that there is a God the Father. By analogical thought, we understand the word father is not meant to be understood as the guy you call dad. God is like, he is analogous to a father in that he has perfect authority. He is the loving, benevolent, caring, wise one who rules over his household for the mutual benefit of everyone. Now, how many of you had a perfect dad? How many of you in this room, I know I was, I was waiting for him to turn around, how many of you in this room had a perfect dad who was always loving, benevolent, caring, wise, and ruled over his household for the mutual benefit of everybody in the room? None of us. And some of the people in this room had dads who were downright awful. So what do you do? If I am to understand God the Father, how do I then reconcile these terms? Well, I do so analogically. I put aside the weaknesses that we know to be true of real dads. Of the father of my three children. We must ignore the many symptoms of poor fathering that have accelerated around us over the last years. And we must accept that God is the best of what we understand fatherhood to be, especially as is defined by God in His Word. Okay, now we come to this passage and we must interpret it analogically because there's, doggone it, this is one of those tough passages. This is one of those passages that people struggle with. Now, in the Matthew version, there really isn't that big of a problem as, as it's describing here the ruling, receiving, and eternal living will all happen in the age to come. What many of us hold to be the millennial kingdom. But Mark, in giving the parallel version of this, adds one really frustrating phrase. 
who will receive a hundredfold now in this time. My friends, be very afraid if someone you know acts like they know everything. If someone pretends there are no mysteries, especially in God's Word, don't walk away from that person. Run. Because you, have, you, you should be afraid. This little clause right here, now in this time, has caused more struggle for me than most passages in the Bible. There are some tough ones, I will admit. But this one for me, and maybe it's because I'm a covetous wretch, this one has caused a lot of problems. What do we make out of it? Well, we understand it analogically. I take seriously the time clause now in this time. But I also understand that it does not mean that if you lose your house for Jesus, you get one a hundred times larger. Ask the Syrian and Iraqi and Libyan Christians who are being murdered right now if they're getting a hundred houses or a house a hundred times bigger than that which they had. So what do we do? What? What? How do we understand this passage? Well, we must understand this phrase to mean that Christians who suffer get something. And this is the rub. This is, this is where the interpretation must happen. They get something that those who have not sacrificed don't. What is this something? Well, it's got to be an analogy. Because it's not a literal house. I'm not going, well, we'll get it in the millennium. I'm not going there. Instead, I am going with what the church has been saying for 2,000 years. God meets people most clearly in times of suffering and sacrifice. One of my favorite things about my first church I was at, I was the the guy who did most of the hospital and funerals and things like that. And I would go visit people who were just in absolute agony and just these God save me experiences in life. And they smiled at me. I'll never forget one one lady in particular. But Americans cannot hear that. Why? Because we're addicted to stuff. Jesus promised me a hundredfold. I'm going to have a mansion in Beverly Hills. Good luck. We have such a hard time accepting this because we believe what this rich man also believed. The rich ones are favored by God, right? Oh. Well, if they're not, who can get into heaven? Answer, those that are given it by Jesus. But the universal report of Christians throughout the history of the church with those who have really sacrificed and suffered is the same as 
David Livingston and Hudson Taylor who both wrote in their diaries, I never made a sacrifice. How could both of those men say that? Because even if all of my toys are taken from us, even if every convenience is evaporated, for example, you get put in a prison camp, if that happens, if all my toys that go bang, bang are taken away from me, then if my heart has been tra tra trained, if my heart has been trained to value my relationship with God and those whom He has put near me, then good riddance. Holding on to this tri-tip steak dinner only to realize that it's arsenic. And you realize, good riddance. I'd rather eat kale. Even if your toys are taken from you, we as those who are with those who have walked with Christ would rather suffer the injustice than bring God's name into reproach because of how we have handled ourselves when those toys were taken away. I have never made a sacrifice. The value that I have received along with the pains and troubles and toils and sacrifices and sufferings, though that which I have gained is so much greater that these so-called toys are as nothing. And just in case you were wondering, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, for I know that the glories that await those of us when we go into the next world will make all of this seem like nothing. as a solidly middle-class American living in one of the nicest places on the planet, whew, I sometimes hope I don't have to find out how right this is. And this is a large part of what I was trying to communicate last week. Cut off what you can't disciple. Everything that you and I have been taught all our lives about bootstraps and American dreams, they haven't turned out to be all true, have they? My generation is the first generation in American history that will not be as rich or as well off as my father's generation. My son's generation is in worse shape than that. And I pity his son's generation, should he have any, if they are thinking that we are going to have great big houses with nice green front yards and white picket fences. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't work hard to better our position. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't buy a home and and take care of ourselves and take care of those that we love. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that a focus that causes us to simply read over these very tough words about discipleship, about pursuing holiness in your relationship with Jesus, 
any kind of vision that you have that causes you just to skip over to the next passage is wrong and is harmful for your soul. Before you lose your ability to enjoy the things of the earth or the things of heaven, ask Jesus to free your heart from the soul cancer of stuff and do it by cutting off everything you can't disciple to Jesus. Now, the answer is, as always, to relate ourselves rightly to Jesus. That is the answer. The answer is relate yourself rightly to Jesus. Now, in this case, as I said a couple of times, things aren't the problem. It's the love of things that is the problem. The problem is that our eyes are tuned to things as, as opposed to Jesus. You have your binoculars and they're out of focus because what you're seeing is stuff. And when you're focused and your binoculars at stuff, you can't see Jesus. At best, He's some genie that will answer your prayers and give you a hundredfold. And that best is a damned her heresy. It's wrong. It's, it'll send you to hell. Now, if we look to Jesus for our joy instead of stuff, if we intentionally right now train our hearts in such a way that they're focused on Him, then the stuff that remains in our view, and there will be th stuff that remains in your view, will be there for you to enjoy and to use in your pursuit of holiness and growing the kingdom of God. And from time to time, because our binoculars get out of focus, Something will get in, that, in the way of that and Jesus will ask you to remove it. And so, how do you do it? How do you take that step? Number one, make sure you're staying in God's Word. Make sure that if you are paying more attention to God's Word than your favorite rifle forum online, then your heart will naturally tend to gravitate to the things above and not the things of the earth. Try it. Prove me wrong. I dare you. Number two, when the Holy Spirit tells you that you are spending too much time in Toyland, listen. God the Spirit will provide a way of escape when you are tempted. But you'll still need to go through that door. And one of the commitments I made in my heart yesterday is the next two weeks I'm not going on my favorite purveyor of soul cancer online. I'm not going back to that forum and... There you go. They're just going to have to survive for two weeks without me. Oh my. Already tempted this afternoon. I wonder about this question. Number three, constantly check yourself before you purchase something not on your monthly budget. Am I purchasing this because it will make me happy or because it will prove useful? Or am I purchasing this because I'm lusting after it, I'm coveting it. Boy, let, let me tell you, if you ever want to hear God speak to you, tell God you want Him to show you where you're not walking with Him. If you ever want God to speak to you, you want to hear God's voice, say, Lord, I want to know where I am not walking with You. If you ever want to hear God laugh at you, tell Him where you want Him to walk. My friends, I've never claimed to be original. But this is basic 
Christianity 101. Cut off what you won't disciple and ask the Holy Spirit to enable you to do it. Lord Almighty, give us grace. Help us to walk with You. This is impossible for us to do on our own. It's impossible as walking a camel through the eye of a needle. God, I pray that You will enable us to see Your grace and Your perfect peace so that we will know that You are with us and You are for us and You will give us grace even if we don't get our Henry 22s. Amen.